Chelsea Fairless, and welcome to another episode of the Every Outfit Podcast. This week, we are answering some mailbag and voicemail questions because sometimes, guys, there's not enough pop culture stuff to talk about. Other it's t- not because of that. It's because I'm in Hawaii. We didn't want to record a remote episode. Not you lying. I was getting to that. <laughs> I was about to say, and some weeks, some of us are in Hawaii. And I'm sure <laughs> I am enjoying a lovely Runyon hike when we would usually be recording this episode. Beautiful. Let's play the first call. Hey, Lauren and Chelsea. So I forgot to rabbit rabbit at midnight like an idiot. But then today I was looking up um, the rabbit rabbit phenomenon and apparently it's actually rabbit rabbit rabbit. Three rabbits is the traditional uh, superstition. So I wonder if SJP knows that or what the deal is. But yeah, it's supposed to be three rabbits. So maybe that's what I'll start doing in 2024. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Wait, is this why our rabbit rabbits have not been working? Because it is rabbit, rabbit, rabbit? Well, we're about to find out because thankfully I got this call before February 1st. So I did, in fact, get my three rabbit, rabbit, rabbits in this month. That's true. I just happened to be up as it went from 1259 to midnight and I did rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. So let's see. Is this why and just like that is like that? Because she She's been rabbit rabbiting instead of rabbit <laughs> rabbit rabbiting. Okay, if you have no fucking clue what we're talking about, Sarah Jessica Parker is very committed to this. I guess it's a superstition that if the first thing you say on the first day of a new month isn't rabbit rabbit, your whole month is going to be fucked up. But this caller is saying that it's actually rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. And I looked into it. I read the Wikipedia entry for rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. And yes, it is in fact three rabbits. Also, do you know what former U.S. president was a devoted rabbit, rabbiter? I'll give you a hint. He had polio and married a lesbian. (laughs) Uh, FDR? Ding, ding, ding. And from my understanding, he was a pretty good president. So maybe the rabbit, rabbit, rabbiting paid off. For March 1st, remember it's rabbit, rabbit, and then a third rabbit. So we've broken down these questions by topics. Since we're heading into Valentine's Day, we thought, why don't we give some love and sex advice? And I can think no better way to kick off the segment than with this call. Hey, Lauren and Chelsea, I just finished your latest episode of the rewatch of The Secret Sex, and you guys asking for secret sex stories. Well, I actually have a great one, and I would like your opinion on what what I should do. So there's this porn star, or at least he used to be a porn star, that I used to love back when I was in high school, like almost 20 years ago now. And... About five years ago, I found him on Thumbtack doing massages. So now, this wasn't on Rent Men, something where you're obviously doing erotic massages. However, it's still a little bit questionable given his history. So obviously, I jumped on the opportunity. He's been giving me massages ever since, a couple times a year. As of recently, they've turned sexual, even though he claims to be straight and I am a flaming gay male. And my question to both of you is, how long should I keep this going for? Is this something you think I can just do indefinitely because I'm not emotionally attached and neither is his? Or does this have an expiration date and is it coming soon? One, I love this call. 
Two, I love how he thinks we're the arbiters to put an expiration date on this. We're like, yeah, you have three more times of a sexual massage and then (laughs) you should probably end it. I think this is incredible. How many people get to have sex with their favorite porn star from high school? And I would advise you to never stop because this man is a sex worker. It does not matter if he's advertising himself as a masseuse. He is a sex worker and you are a paying customer. And as long as he's responding to your texts, when you say, hey, can you come over and give me a massage? It's all good. Everyone wins in this scenario. And from your call, I'm gathering that you are a a lovely paying customer. So how wonderful. Yeah. Listening to this call back, my question is, why a massage only a couple times a year? Yeah. I think you should bump this up to quarterly personally. Absolutely. See, you thought we were going to tell you an expiration date. (laughs) Frankly, we're like, bump that up to four times a year. Yeah, twice a year, not enough. A massage slash hand job once a quarter. Dr. Chelsea and Lauren are telling you, (laughs) up your dosage. (laughs) Okay, so this is a question that was submitted via Instagram. My boyfriend has kids and their mom is misery level crazy. Stay until she murders me? Question mark. Are we supposed to give advice? Because it seems like she's decided her fate, which is stay until she is murdered. (laughs) This is a tough one because I wish I knew how your boyfriend is handling this because that's the deciding factor. If he is making an attempt to shield you from her craziness and like acknowledging her insanity, that's one thing. But if he's blasé about bringing you into this fucked up situation, then I would bail because she's the mother of his kids. So of course he can't escape, but you are not obligated to stay the course. And wait until you get unalived, as the Zoomers say. (laughs) Okay, next mailbag question. Thoughts on polyamory? I assume this is being asked because of a recent New York Magazine article about polyamory. We got another parallel question that was like, why does seeing someone who's poly make me feel like a side piece? So let's attempt to answer both of these. Chell, what's your thought on polyamory? I know poly people that are thriving and I know poly people whose lives are in a perpetual state of chaos because they are always dealing with poly drama. So I think it depends on the person. And I think that there's a lot of judgment towards poly people because your average person just couldn't deal with that. Yes, and I am that average person. I would say, in short, it's not for me. Yeah, it's not for me either. To each their own. Just because it sounds like hell to me doesn't mean I should judge others. Yeah, I mean, look, as an observer, it seems like a lot to balance. Like when I read that part of the New York Magazine article where this couple shares a Google calendar to block out an evening for them to spend together and how like the one guy is like, okay, I can have a date on any day between Thursday and Sunday between 7 p.m. and 1 a.m. That's what I can do. I'm like, that seems hellish to me. Well, yeah, because it's not just that it's emotionally tough for some people, not all, of course, but yes, the logistical aspects of it. And the New York Magazine article, it it extends to any non-monogamous relationship. And if you are- Okay, that's not the same thing though. No, but I'm saying the language in the New York Magazine article defines everything, open relationships, polyamory, a lot of other things I can't remember. But I will say, if you are dating in this day and age, you have slept with someone who is non-monogamous at some point. Right. I don't know. I think, I know a lot of people in open relationships are people that are kind of swingers, and that seems like 
normal to me and much lower stakes than being polyamorous. It's all fun and games until feelings get involved is what I will say in regards to open relationships. But to the person who was asking, why does it feel like I'm a side piece to this person I'm seeing who is poly? Is it the official language in polydynamics like a primary partner? Yeah, primary partner, secondary partner. Yeah, there's a primary partner and you aren't that primary partner. You're sort of to the side of that primary partner. I'm actually kind of sad now that Che Diaz is gone because they hinted at being poly and we could have really explored these poly dynamics. <laughs> Next question. We got a lot of questions about age gap relationships. This one says, I'm in an age gap relationship like Chelsea and Tat. Any advice on how to navigate? Then we got another one that's like, I'm 22 dating a 34-year-old. How do I convince her that the age gap isn't a big deal? Well, let me take this question, though. <laughs> no, no, I By all means. I think the younger person in an age gap relationship has to be mature for their age, and the older person has to not pressure the younger person to, like, have kids, get married, or do things that are associated with their age bracket. As Dan Savage says, you have to adhere to the campsite rule. When you're in a campground, you have to leave your campsite better than when you found it. And the same is true of an older person dating a younger person. When the relationship ends, if it ends, you have to leave them in better shape than you found them in. Or marry them. Or marry them. To answer the question of what can I do to convince my 34-year-old girlfriend that the age gap isn't a big deal, is your apartment a glorified dorm room? Do you participate in SantaCon? Like how adult are you or how 22 year old are you <laughs> yeah if the answer is yes to either of those things then maybe work on those things but i do wonder if this fuckhead is asking that because of just the change in discourse everything is grooming now i do wonder if maybe that's where the concern comes from of like am i taking advantage of you well i hope that's not the concern i hope the concern is more along the lines of like is this really sustainable and Chelsea's here to say age gaps do work. I wouldn't say that in all instances, but I think just it, relationships in general, they should be easy. Not that you don't have hurdles to overcome as a couple. Every relationship has that, but I think generally speaking, should be easy and uncomplicated. Yeah, I think this goes back to the secret sex episode we did a few weeks ago where if you guys have great sexual chemistry, you can have a conversation just because maybe because of your age gap, you don't have quote unquote the same interests, which was the concern in that episode. I don't think that means that two people shouldn't be together. No, of course not. Okay, new question. My entire family and friends dislike my partner. What do I do? Does your entire family and friends have a terrible vibe? I'm going to assume no. So <laughs> they're probably right. And if the answer is yes, your entire family and friends do have a terrible vibe, why are you around them? Either your relationship is terrible or both your friends and family are completely fucked. One of them is fucked. You have to figure out which one. All right, next question. Approaching 40, single, no kids. Time to panic or calmly accept my fate? Ring the alarm. <laughs> Those are the options? I know. I wouldn't panic about being single because I feel like it's really normal to be single in your late 30s or at any age for that matter. Also, you have to remember a lot of people that you know that are coupled now will get divorced and be single again. I don't think you need to panic or calmly accept your fate. I'm going to assume you wrote this this way because you do want to have children 
as someone that has a ton of friends who do have amazing partners and children, they have said even in the best circumstances, it can sometimes feel like you're a single mom. So you should just be a single mom? If that's the fear, right? I mean, what are the things that you have control of? You could have a child on your own if you would like. A partner could come into the picture later. We don't know if this person is open to adoption. We don't know if this person has the means to freeze their eggs. Like these are all, of course, options that minimize the pressure of the time frame a little bit. That's what I'm trying to say is that there are things in your control if certainly having a child is something that you want to do and a partner will come or they will not come. But I would say don't obviously rush into a relationship or a marriage just because you want children. Yeah, it's better to just Miranda Hobbs it. I feel like we should get into this other question we got, which I think is a bit related to where we're going in this conversation. Do I ask my multi-year situationship if he would impregnate me, parentheses, 36, wants kids, question mark. I relate to this so hard because this is me in an alternate reality. I will put it this way. Let's say you choose to get impregnated by this multi-year situationship. If you never saw this person again and you raised this child on your own, would you be okay with that? Alternatively, if this person wanted to be in the child's life for the next 18 years or more, would you be okay with that? Well, I was going to say, do you have any gay male friends? And I was also going to say, if you're pursuing this, you need to hire a lawyer for yourself and for your situationship because all of this shit needs to be addressed legally before you impregnate yourself. This was a scenario before I got together with Paul, I thought about a lot, whether having a child with a gay best friend, a situationship, what have you. And I was always reminded of the actor Jason Patrick, who donated sperm to an ex of his who wanted to have a child. She got pregnant, had a child. They dated afterwards. Then they broke up and he wanted custody over the child. And she was like, well, no, I mean, you just donated your sperm. You don't have any paternal rights. And then for many years, they were in a very contentious court battle about custody. So that's why you hire a lawyer. All right. My boyfriend wants to wear a blue suit and brown shoes to our wedding. Can I veto? Yes, and you absolutely should. Well, what color blue? I imagine if she's asking this question, it's like a light blue color. I'm trying to think of like what the most ideal version of blue suit and brown shoes would be. I guess it would be some Prada situation. Right. But I'm guessing it's more arbitrary than that. I'm guessing he has one of these things already. Probably the shoes. Here is what I've learned as someone with my own extreme sense of aesthetics being with someone else who also has their very own distinct sense of aesthetics. And instead of just vetoing everything on the spot, I sort of let Paul like go through an entire idea and then come to the conclusion himself that maybe this wasn't the best idea. Like have your partner show his, what I imagine, bright blue suit to other friends and family and have them have a very um, unpleasant reaction. And then I think that'll get in his mind, like maybe I shouldn't wear this. See, I was imagining that the suit was more navy and the shoes were more like caramel colored suede. That's how this materialized mentally for me, but we don't know. But anyway, don't let this happen. Abort ASAP. 
I want to hear about Lauren's journey from dating unavailable men to moving at lesbian speed with Paul. How? The short answer is I kind of became the unavailable one. Oh my God, this is so sex in the city. Yeah, someone else asked if we had a dating story that could be a sex in the city storyline. And I'm like, kind of this one. So at the time I was in a situationship that I wouldn't let end when everyone around me like begged me to move on. At the same time, I was also dating mostly online, but that was going so badly that my own therapist told me to give it a break for my own mental health. (laughs) So in an act of desperation, I reached out to Paul, who I had not seen or spoken to in years in a sort of like, well, at least that was consistently good sex. Yeah. And then a lot of amazing serendipitous things started to happen. Like I reached out to him and he goes, oh, I've been actually traveling to LA for work. I wanted to reach out with you. I didn't know how that would be received. So So I got to say, I was unavailable and quasi-toxic. I wouldn't reply to text messages for a month. I came out to New York. The outfit I wore to dinner with him, I sent to the situation shipped and started that back up again. So like you sent a photo of yourself in the outfit. You didn't courier over a package with a dress in it. Uh, Correct. Correct. Just clarifying for the listener. It should be known for the record. Yeah, I mean, I really had no expectations that this go around with Paul was going to go anywhere because it hadn't before. And so to speak to the speed of lesbian nature of our courtship, Paul's story is his own to share. But what I can say freely is that he was ready for a radical change in his life. So I guess I cured my own unavailable man dependency by becoming emotionally available and then meeting someone who was just very available. And just like that. Um, just like that. <laughs> we're engaged to be married. Related question. Want to hear about Lauren's wedding style vibe sanity check? You with glee each week have been waiting for just like the moment that I'm going to turn into a bridezilla. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it at all, but that doesn't mean it's not coming. Just knowing that like I've seen other people spiral. You've seen good bitches go mad over. I really have. And people you wouldn't expect in a million years, you know? A table set up. Thanks to this podcast, I have an amazing event planner, a wedding planner who listens to this podcast. Annie Campbell will be planning the event. That's so fun. Okay, as for vibe, I'm thinking nautical, like Dion's dream wedding in Clueless. The sailor hats. Yeah, we'll all wear little Simone Rocha Gautier sailor hats. I would love that. And yeah, I mean, there's not too much to talk about, unfortunately. You will be my bridesmaid. You asked if you could wear black. I said yes. Great. So what are you going to wear? I have no fucking clue. A scintillating update about the the Gloveroni wedding. Now we're into the gay interest section. Let's start with this call. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Chelsea. My name's Dan, and I'm a huge fan of you both. I'm calling because just like Lauren, I'm also engaged. Congrats, Lauren. And I need some tips. So I'm getting married in July, and I'm going to have my bachelor's party in New York in June, which is essentially a bachelorette party because I'm gay. So I was wondering if you guys could give me suggestions on what activities I should do and places that I should go in New York that are both bachelorette and sex in the city themed. Thank you guys so much. I love you guys. Okay, this is cliche and might result in alcohol poisoning, but you could go to the drag brunch show at Lips which is where the girls went, which is where we met drag queen Samantha. We would suggest going to actual restaurants or bars that were featured on Sex and the City versus 
perhaps going to a themed night or the Sex and the City bus tour, which I have refused to go on for years because it is four hours long. But Lauren, we would have so much fun. Like, yeah, it's like places we've seen before, but we have to do it. Chelsea, places we've seen. We lived in New York. It's like, I don't need a a 45-minute pit stop at ABC Home and Carpet. (laughs) ABC Carpet at Home. Thank you. Okay, shit. I need to think about this more, but I think you need to make a sheet cake with a photo transfer of the absolute hunk ad. I love this. Or maybe one of the paparazzi photos of Carrie beating Mr. Big with her wedding bouquet. You could also maybe make souvenir t-shirts with that image. I feel like you need to start at the plaza and you and your friend recreate Carrie and Biggs goodbye at the end of season two. Oh yeah, you could get a drink there. That's perfect. Then you go down to the Tiffany store and then another one of your friends and you mimic the proposal, the tray proposal (laughs) scene to Charlotte. Then go down to the New York Public Library. No, no, no. Then go down to like Bleecker Street. Go to Magnolia Cupcake. You can go to the SJP Collection store. Then you can go and get a drink at one of the gay bars in the West Village. Oh, you could go to Cowgirl. That's what it is. We figured it out. Yeah. Go to Cowgirl. It is a Western-themed novelty restaurant where Carrie and Miranda ran into Aiden and Steve. They have a back room. It is cheap, cheerful, lots of fun, and close to all the gay bars. You can go to Marie's Crisis. You can go to Duplex. You can go to Julius. That's a good one for big groups. And we are also, as you may notice, advising you not to go to Perry Street and try to take a photo in front of Carrie's brownstone. You could, though, because it's right around the corner from Cowgirl. It is true, but you're better than that. And maybe when you're in the back room of Cowgirl, you could get a stripper that like keeps his bottoms on that could dance to you've got the love or something. Ooh. Or maybe you could do like a Smith Jared overalls vibe. Just a thought. That's perfect. Western themed. Yeah. We've done it. All right. How do I find a gay male hairdresser in a new city? I can't just call the salon and ask, right? No, you can't call the <laughs> salon and ask specifically for a gay male hairdresser. Also, Gay male hairdressers aren't necessarily better at cutting hair than straight women. They're just more likely to become hairdressers. Well, our colorist, Casey, is straight. The person who cuts my hair is a lesbian. I don't think it's gay men only. I mean, we've been lucky where Casey just DM'd us and was like, I'd love to color your hair. And before that, I was seeing my mom's hairdresser, who was a gay individual who I thought I would see until he died. But I feel like you could just go to a hair salon, look around, and just figure out someone with a cool vibe. I'm not saying a gay man. I'm you just can't, like, pick out a hairdresser from j- visually by who's just standing around the salon. Go to the website. Most websites have photos of the hairdressers. If that fails, go to the salon's Instagram page, look at the tagged photo, and scroll until you see a photo of some chick's blowout that's like, thanks at Ricky at X Salon for my amazing blowout. Wow, I love how I'm trying to encourage this person of like, maybe just widen your parameters. I'm just saying, if you're going to do it, that's how. Okay, I can't wait to see what your advice for this is. How do I advertise a room for rent only for lesbians? My dog hates men. Well, you could say on the listing that you are LGBTQ friendly, but I also think it's fair to say that you are looking for a woman because your dog hates men, and that in itself will attract lesbians. Boom. Boom. 
should I give a chance to a guy that is very much online and post tacky shit all day long? I just assumed this was a question from a man. Yeah, Chell, I am so intrigued that you put this in gay interest since I thought it must be a woman who left this question about a guy. <laughs> I just feel like you wouldn't describe what a straight man posts as tacky shit. I'm imagining more of an instigay that's chronically online. We are doing the best we can with the information that we have. I, took I guess it- we could have clicked into the profile, <laughs> but we just didn't bother. And then it went away after 24 hours and we could do no further investigation. It depends on what kind of chronically online. How tacky is he also? DM us the profile and we'll let you know. Yeah, I guess I was imagining a sort of bar stool, sports obsessed meme kind of guy. I was imagining a guy that's posting like selfies all day long geotagging every single place he goes making bad a day in the life reels like that kind of thing gay male straight man I don't think it's a behavior that you're going to be able to even if you were to pursue a relationship get them out of so if this is cringy to you now it's going to be even more cringy when you're in a long-term relationship with them well, also, especially like an instigay should be in a relationship with another instigay because, you know, like the different kinds of wood, they make each other stronger. So it's good to have flaws. <laughs> Think of how much they could use the collaborator feature. How wonderfully sponsored their wedding would be. We got a lot of questions like this. I'm bi, but my long-term relationships have all been hetero. Will a woman want to date me? Here's another one. Questioning my sexuality while currently engaged with two kids. Help. The short answer is yes, women will want to date you, but I'm not going to lie. Having exclusively heterosexual relationships will be a red flag to some. I would suggest dating two types of people. One, other bisexuals. Other bisexuals are not going to be weirded out that you've only dated men. Also, very butch women. Very butch women often date girls that just date men otherwise. So they just like don't care that much because like everyone that they've ever dated was quote unquote heterosexual previously. I have a follow-up question, not to make it seem like I'm the one that submitted this question, but at one point, do you admit this? Like, is this something you should tell a partner? Yes. From the beginning? I'd put it on the profile, honestly. Okay. I want to avoid that being an issue. There are some people that will not be thrown by that or even think it's an asset. I would love to know how you feel about, I assume this woman who is engaged to a man with two children and is questioning her sexuality? That's a hard one. I don't know, girl. I don't know. Because the question is, should I blow up my life to pursue something that, I mean, she says questioning my sexuality, not like I'm fully gay and I know it. Or she could be bi. Yeah, exactly. Of course you could be bi. Now, may we point you towards the recent New York Magazine article about polyamory? That is not the solution necessarily. Or maybe it is. Who knows? We didn't help this woman at all. See if you can have a threesome with your husband and see if you're into it. And then you can dump him if you are, I guess. We have one last voicemail to get us out of gay interests and into generally our thoughts on stuff. I fuck it. I have become absolutely obsessed with becoming a candle person and I was about to go online and google like you know best bougie candles and I remembered that Chelsea is a candle head so next time you do an episode a hotline episode whatever you please like list all of your favorite candles which ones are worth money I'll be honest we didn't know where to place this voicemail yeah we didn't I love 
expensive candles. It is my number one passion in life, so I'm completely thrilled by this question. I love Wary Meyers candles. I specifically love the fragrance Voulez Vu. It is one of the best rose candles ever, and I like this candle because I can burn it at night and my room still smells when I wake up the next day. And I feel like, to me, that is the mark of the best kind of candle. Another candle like that, very popular, some would say cliche, but Diptyque Bay. You cannot go wrong with that candle. Same with Diptyque Roses, but figure out what Diptyque is right for you. Loewe candles, very, very expensive, but the vessel is an art object. The packaging is the most impressive in the expensive candle landscape. I love the Honeysuckle one. I've talked about the Casey Musgraves Boy Smells candle before. I love that one. That one also makes a good gift, especially for gay man, as does the Grace Jones candle. And what else? For I'm trying to think of cheaper candles. I think And Other Stories actually has good candles that are, I think they're like $20, so less expensive than the brands I mentioned, but solid, good. And do you have any candles? You just bought me a Tom Ford candle and I'm excited to burn it. I've never had a Tom Ford candle. I know, it's funny. I got you the Tom Ford fucking fabulous candle and then I opened on Christmas from Paul this exact same candle. And so I am burning it. It is wonderful. It also, even when it's not burned, the smell wafts in the room that it's in. So I think that's great. Oh, I forgot about Byredo. Also great candles. Love Burning Rose. Love Summer Rain, which is a new one. And there's also a new brand called Putnam & Putnam that is very solid, like niche brand. They have an exceptional jasmine candle. So I recommend that as well. Look, we are very fortunate living in Los Angeles. There's a store called Candle Delirium. So we can just walk in and, and figure out what scent we want to burn. I just went there to get the limited edition Valentine's Day Diptyque candles. I have such an unromantic answer because my favorite candle and favorite scent, it's by a company called Paddle Wax. It's tobacco and patchouli, but it neither smells like tobacco nor patchouli. And when I have burned it... Everyone who comes in the house is like, this smells incredible. You're looking it up now. The problem is, Chelsea, it is in the ugliest vessel. It's got a real like Chip and Joanna Gaines magnolia mm. foam look mm -hmm. to it. But it's for the type of smell that I like the best smell. Just like a musky kind of masculine beachy smell. You know what? I have an equivalent of that. I love Please. PF Candle Co. Okay. Which again, the packaging, it's yes, it's Chip and Joanna Gaines. It's a little bit Etsy. But excellent sense. Anyway, I love candles so much. They're just like, they truly bring so much joy to my life, as does incense. All right. We just have a bunch of people asking us our thoughts on various things. Thoughts on Bradley Cooper and Gigi Hadid, especially the paparazzi pic of him in that hat. Bro, that outfit. <laughs> like, good for them, but he looks like he's in a film set in Williamsburg in 2006. Like, he's wearing, like, a skinny camo cargo pant, which I assume is, like, a Mary or something equally tragic, and a peacoat, like he's Chuck Bass or something. Yeah. And then this, like, Bedford Avenue back-in-the-day type beanie. It is a Louis Vuitton blue patchwork beanie. Again, only on Pharrell. Pharrell keeps making clothes that shouldn't be worn by anyone but Pharrell. You know, like Barry Keoghan's Golden Globes outfit. Do you think Gigi gave him this beanie? I don't know where he got it, but I'm honestly surprised she let him out of the house that way. I mean, have you seen the Gigi Hadid tour of her apartment? Oh, yes. True. True. 
Forgot about that. Look, what do I think about Bradley Cooper and Gigi Hadid as a couple? Sure. They're, yeah. they're both famous. They both live in New York. Yeah, I like both of them. Yeah. He gets the model life. She gets actors. I mean, Bradley Cooper's first love is his mother. So as long as she knows that, I think we're, we're all good. Well, it seems like Gigi's tight with her mom as well. They are a couple that you don't think have such an age gap. Like, as much of an age gap as they do, because there's a 21-year age gap between Gigi Hadid and Bradley Cooper, which I was not expecting. Yeah, that is kind of wild. Okay, thoughts on Sophia Ritchie in general? I don't have any thoughts. I don't care. What about you? Okay, I do have some thoughts. Her ascent from Scott Disick's teenage girlfriend to Gen Z trad life quiet luxury influencer is quite the come up, I will say. Is it? I'm fascinated by people's fascination with her because it seems like she hard launched this lifestyle influencerdom through this impeccable wedding that she had. Well, I don't think that was intentional. She's a rich girl, so she's going to have a rich girl wedding. That's true. I mean, three Chanel wedding dresses. Again, why wouldn't you if you could? There are many people with money who have terrible taste. I don't really get the obsession with her style. That and Morgan McGraw. It's like just because... Who's that? Morgan McGraw was the best friend of Dorothy Wang. It was on the Rich Kids of Instagram that became the show on E! and Morgan, her name was Morgan Stewart. She became the breakout person. She did a lot of work for E! Morgan was married on the show and then got divorced and married Dr. Phil's son, who is a musician. Mm, plot twist. There you go. She was part of, what was that E! show we always used to make fun of the title? Pop Crush? Pop Candy? Anyway, she worked for E! for a long time, but everyone is obsessed with her style and it's just both her and Sophia Ritchie have, to me, very boring style, but that's not the type of personal style that I uh, look towards. But good for her. Yeah, good for her. Thoughts on Amelia Gray Hamlin. Ooh, another glow up from a Scott Disick ex. And then thoughts on Nepo Baby models in general. I think Olivia Gray Hamlin is major. Never underestimate the power of a makeover, you know? Yeah, I mean, she definitely stole Gabrielle's entire look. Who cares? You know, sometimes bleaching your eyebrows, dyeing your hair black does wonders. And we so rarely get a kind of typical Erewhon, Beverly Hills girl giving herself like an art world makeover. Yeah, giving herself over to darkness. As for Nepo baby models, some of my favorite models are Nepo babies, like Marissa Berenson and Angelica Houston and Sophie Dahl. Devin Aoki. Love them. Always ready for a new Nepo baby model to love. Thoughts on Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop? She did the damn thing. I know. <laughs> she did do the damn thing. Goop started as a newsletter for all of her rich friends that needed recommendations in other cities. It has grown into this. I really have never gotten the hate for Goop because it's not bothering anyone. Like, I get why it bothers people, but if you think about how the website Goop exists, it is a closed loop system. Like, if it weren't for salacious articles that other people write about the things that they sell twice a year, you wouldn't know about it. People don't like it because she's turning wellness into a luxury product when wellness should be for everyone. But that was going to happen no, I anyway. Know. I know, and I do think it's incredible that she was so instrumental in creating the wellness industry that exists today. Well, you know what they say, the first one through the door gets shot with the jade egg. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's like, it's easy to resent her because she does 
benefit from every single kind of privilege on top of being very talented as an actress and as a founder, I suppose. The things that she produces are actually good, which is why I think a lot of the hate has dissipated. The skin products, I have the, I use the G label, is it G label? Whatever the, the goop. Goop glow. Yeah, goop glop. glow. <laughs> The goop glop. Uh, the, the gleep glop moisturizer is incredible. Goop kitchen, great. I had it for dinner last night. The cookbooks, exceptional. Love that green goddess recipe. Look, do I think G label is lacking? Yes, but she's literally designing clothing that she would like to wear, and I have to appreciate that. Yeah, that's not for us. We can engage with goop kitchen. We can engage with the cookbooks, the skincare. Also, I look up the goop guide if I go anywhere. Even if it's a starting off point. Yeah, it's not like I go everywhere, but there's always somewhere where I go. Uh, shockingly, we don't dislike Gwyneth Paltrow and goop. Thoughts on Miranda July? I have only one thought, which is I love her. Yeah, queen. Her dancing videos on Instagram are insane but I stand. And like Kathleen Hanna, she's one of those Gen X feminist artists that is just like so foundational and major. And I do find it kind of astounding that she could work in seemingly every medium. Like we think of her as being mostly a film director, but it's like, when you think about it, she actually was very ahead of the curve in terms of using the internet in an artistic way. Yeah, and also the books that she wrote. Yeah, she has one coming out that we should read. Oh, thank God. For me, Me, You, and Everyone We Know was just one of those foundational... Did we see that together? We saw The Future together. That was oh, okay. her second film. Right, right, right. Me, You, and Everyone We Know is the first film that she wrote and directed. And for me, it was so groundbreaking, just in that way that other people talk about, like, oh, I didn't know movies could be like this. Yeah, she's just, like, such a weirdo and a freak, and she makes it work for her. But she's a weirdo and a freak, but she has a very optimistic worldview. Yeah, and there's an earnestness and a heartfeltness to her work while also just being incredibly weird. Like, the whole I poop and your poop and we poop together <laughs> aim conversation from me you and everyone we know yeah so good i gotta rewatch the future i think yeah. we both saw that in a very bizarre time in our life well also she is just like a big risk taker like all of those movies are insane including the last one yeah i know we didn't care for kajillionaire that much yeah but i still liked kajillionaire like it wasn't my favorite of her movies but i was still like Okay, she did that. And the performances were amazing. And we always want her to be making work. And I also want her to model, which she does surprisingly a lot. She was in that Gucci Hollywood show. She was in a Mew Mew show recently. She's been in the Rodarte extended universe for quite some time. Oh, yeah. That's another director that has walked in a fashion show. Bless. Also, very sad that her and Mike Mills broke up but apparently they're still living together. Look, I can't wait for their- Marriage story. Yeah, I can't- Julian <laughs> projects. Please, God, it's all I want. Also, I wonder if she's dating women again. Someone must know who Miranda July is dating. I'm shocked that you don't have this lesbian gossip. Someone will let me know. I'm, I'm confident. Thoughts on Selena Gomez and Benny Blanco. 
I have no thoughts. My thoughts are very much of the, this gives me bad vibes variety. Oh, okay. I just don't think this is going to end well. His cooking TikToks are really cringe. He's too online. It's just, it's not going to end well. Oh, this goes back to the person who was asking about someone I'm into slash dating, someone who's chronically online and post cringe stuff. We're telling you it doesn't work. No. Okay. What creative director appointments would you actually like to see happen? I'm going to say Ina Garten for Baby Bell. <laughs> or back to our Gwyneth Paltrow thing, Gwyneth Paltrow for the plant-based Baby Bell. Because those could really use a glow up. They could. They need Gwyneth. Yeah. You know what? They could get Cory Booker. Cory Booker <laughs> for plant-based Baby Bell. <laughs> You know, Ben Affleck has been in Dunkin' Donuts ad campaigns, but I would love him to take on a creative director role, much like Lady Gaga in Polaroid. Ooh, I could also see him repping an e-cig. Remember those Steven Dorff? We're all adults here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Can we talk about the show Louder Milk? It looks like a burger spinoff. Okay, I watched the first 15 minutes of this show and was horrified by what I saw. So if you have been on Netflix recently, you have seen this new show starring Ron Livingston called Louder Milk, except it's not a new show, Chelsea. It premiered in 2017 on AT&T. <laughs> Wait, what? Are you just fucking with me? I'm not. It then was licensed to Amazon, where I believe they commissioned the third season, and then it went to Netflix. So everyone is watching the show, asking for our opinion about it. But this show is years and years old. It's years old. And like this man is truly like the AA sponsor from hell. Well, would you be surprised that the show was created by Peter Fairley, who I believe won an Oscar for Green Book? Okay, we've already spent too much time talking about this horrible show. Let's never talk about it or think about it again. Okay. Lauren uses the term hooey, and I need a definition. I have consulted Urban Dictionary to no avail. I use the word hooey because of the podcast that we love called Who Weekly. Who created very necessary terminology to describe the relevance and fame level of celebrities. So who's your people that you, you see their face, you hear their name, and you're like, who? Yeah. And then conversely, thems are people that you're like, oh, there's Angelina Jolie. Yeah. I think about the who them matrix as like, would your grandmother know who this person is? I don't know. I think grandmother is a too stringent criteria because like, does a grandmother know who Lizzo is? Oh, my grandmother knows who Lizzo is. Okay, I think it's like in a Gen X to millennial household is the celebrity a household name is a good criteria. Right. But I also think generally who's are people that it's like you either recognize their name or their face, but you don't know what they do, or you've seen them in something, but you don't know their name. But when I use the phrase hooey, I sometimes use it as an adjective. It's more just like, it's almost there, but not exactly. It lacks a mainstreamness. Yeah, there's a level of anonymity to who's, but it's weird because Who's can be quite successful and highbrow. Like Brie Larson won Best Actress, but you're still like, who? Exactly. There's also a, a randomness, I think, that I apply to the hooey word usage, at least when I use it. Like, huh. Well, also it's like doing certain things are hooey, like certain kind of spawn. Fast growing trees? 
is a who. <laughs> Me eventually announcing my pregnancy with a clear blue ad, that's a them. <laughs> Although, whose are the ones that do clear blue pregnancy reveal spawn? You are correct. No one that's a them would stoop to that level because they don't need the check that clear blue provides. Whereas a who, you know. That's true. I'm more surprised that someone didn't ask about my use of the word bobo, which I sometimes use, which I took from another podcast called How Did This Get Made, which they use it as like a fake version of something. Yeah, like a bootleg. Yeah. Okay. Thoughts on celebrity skincare and beverage brands? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> do you have any that you like? I mean, we both drink Casa Amigos. I do love a Rare Beauty concealer. I haven't gotten into the uh, Hailey Bieber Road products, but mostly because those are always sold out. I mean, we wear a ton of skims. Yeah. I don't drink. Is it Kin or Can? Kin. Right, the non-alcoholic brand that somehow Bella Hadid became a co-founder of after it was founded? Because she was just such a big fan. I will say they have a dupe for a mimosa, which is exceptional. But yeah, I guess my toxic trait is I like all of those celebrity non-alcoholic aperitif brands. Like I love De Soie, the Katy Perry one, even though somehow we never get free De Soie. But that one is the best in my opinion, and I have truly tried them all. Yeah, I think that the success of a celebrity brand has to do with authenticity. I mean, I wouldn't have previously associated Selena Gomez with makeup, but Rare Beauty is a very good product. There are things that are very questionable like i don't know if you've because we don't go to the arc light anymore but on the corner of highland and sunset is a place called heart house which is kevin hart's vegan fast food restaurant but kevin hart isn't vegan <laughs> he just started a vegan fast food restaurant not this moby wannabe exactly do you have any celebrity fragrances not at the moment no I have the Chloe 70 Regime de Fleurs perfume, but I don't think that counts. Like, it's not like Lovely by Sarah Jessica Parker or something. Right. But I love that. I love that. And I wish there was a candle of that for the record. Okay. Couple of fashion questions. I love, love, love this one. Who should play Isabella Blow in a biopic? I think of youngish actors that are working today. I think the obvious answer is Juno Temple. Love her. But I think the obvious answer is Andrea Reesborough. Oh, yeah. That for young Isabella Blow, like 90s peak McQueen Isabella Blow. And then we could do Olivia Coleman for end of her life, Isabella Blow. Yeah, if it is a FXified biopic or, or docuseries, I was going to say Michelle Dockery, only in the sense that it's like, she doesn't exactly look like Isabella Blow, but like that's something that a casting director for a Hulu limited series would choose. My real answer is the British actor that looks the most like Isabella Blow would be the woman that plays Hugh Grant's sister from Notting Hill, but I don't think that would work now. Emma Thompson? No, no, no. And Oh, that's right. This is the weird blind spot is you've only seen Notting Hill once. Oh, we're not talking about love, actually. Yes, I do know who you're talking about. I've seen it twice now. Thank you very much. <laughs> I watched it recently, actually. I mean... I hope... That if and when there is an Isabella Blow biopic, I hope it's kind of like Black Swan. Like I think some surreal elements because she's kind of a person that is almost like beyond the human form. Is Mila Kunis Alexander McQueen in this metaphor? No. <laughs> 
No, I just more mean in this sort of way it captures like a mental breakdown in the surreal elements of it, the glamorous elements of it. Like I think that Isabella Blow deserves something a little extraordinary. But also we should really do a whole Isabella Blow deep dive VIP episode at some point because queen, love her. Even if we just recited facts about Isabella Blow, that could make for like an hour long episode. Yeah, just our favorite, most eccentric things about her would take a good 45 minutes. Did you ever watch What Not to Wear with Stacey and Clinton? Any favorite episodes or moments? How could you be a adolescent growing up in the late 90s, early 2000s and not have watched What Not to Wear? I know I watched a ton of it. I don't really remember a lot of it. I remember that they were cunty for no reason. They weren't that cunty, though. You also have to consider the people that they were dealing with. And like a lot of the time on what not to wear, it's not like these people were like coming to them like, help me, I dress like shit. There are people that like their friends nominated them. Right, right, right. So it's like they think that their instincts are good and they would like fight with Stacey and Clinton. And yeah, sometimes they would get annoyed and I was always on their side. See, I don't remember a lot from this because it coincided with my pothead phase in college when okay. I watched what not to wear religiously. But I have two favorite moments that come to mind. One, the episode where they went to Paris and someone had like a $50,000 makeover budget and actually like got to go to designer stores and stuff. That was an amazing episode. My other favorite episode, this is a very niche reference, but on what not to wear, basically what happens is Stacy and Clinton, they consult with the person. They're like, okay, you need to look for like a slim pant or, you know, you need to look for turtlenecks. And then they send them out shopping by themselves. On one episode of what not to wear, a man was shopping at Scoop for Men. And then Clinton just like happened to walk in like out of makeup because he was just like shopping for like James Purse tees at Scoop for Men or something. And he was just like, oh, fuck. Like, so good. Now I have to banter. Yeah, I know. He's like, God damn it. Like, now I have to talk to this loser. Kill me. On the Style Network, there was How to Dress for Less. And it was hosted by Elizabeth Hasselbeck. It was like her first hosting gig post-survivor. Don't love that. It was hard enough dealing with her on The View. I miss the Style Network. But also, it's worth noting that Stacey London, I follow her on Instagram, love her. And I love that she has pivoted to lesbianism in midlife. Fabulous looking as always. Love Stacey and Clinton forever. They are really the OGs and none of us should forget that. What would a show be if we didn't talk about sex in the city in some way, shape, or form? Okay, normally I would have cut this call because of audio issues, but they were so bad that I thought it really added some comedy. Hi, you doing? So I have a question. What happened to Marcus? We never learned what happened to him. He was the perfect guy for Stanny. And then they got the house on the Hamptons. What happened with that? Is Stanny a murderer? Is Marcus's remains at the bottom of some flower bed in the Hamptons? I mean, that's one way to look at it. I feel like we've pondered what happened to Marcus, and we like to think that he got away from all of their toxicness. He was just too pure for this world. Yeah, it was pretty rude how he was written off, I have to say. Yeah, it sort of fell into the black hole that is season five. Like, he was in that last episode, and then... Right, he's at the dinner party with Petrovsky. So he was there up until the end of Sex and the City, Honestly, I think Daddy MPK just had to give 
Anthony's storyline for the movie. I mean, because four years goes by from the end of the series, we get the first film, and that is when on New Year's, for reasons unknown, Stanford and Anthony get together. Truly one of life's greatest mysteries. Actually, I'll take that back. We do know because we did speak to Daddy MPK in 2018, and we asked him this question about why did Stanford and Anthony get together? This was before and just like that where he broke them up. And he said they were just the last two people at the party. That's such a depressing worldview, but I get it. Okay, I know you guys are already getting a ton of calls about this, but I just saw SJP's bow collection, and it's just some freaking ribbon that is tied into a bow that she's selling for $225. Just wanted to get your thoughts on this. SJP collection has never been at the most accessible price point. I'm sure it has beautiful craftsmanship that warrants its $200 price tag. It's one nice ribbon. But SJP is not alone in selling a bow barrette with a very, very long ribbon. I keep getting sponsored ads for this Sandy Liang bow that is very, very similar, although slightly more reasonably priced at $178. So if you want to save a buck. Okay. I mean, I guess this is just the going raid for a designer bow these days. Inflation, man. To be fair, like the ribbon is long. So the bow is going to hit what? At the knee? Below the knee? Maybe even? Right. On this SJP bow. So while it is a literal ribbon affixed to a clip, it is a lot of look. It's not like she's selling a $200 bobby pin. It could be more egregious. But we're here to say we won't be buying the $200 bow. Mostly because I think I'm really just too old for that shit. That's the irony is that you now have the finances to purchase a $200 <laughs> bow. But unfortunately, you've aged out of the look. If I'm buying bow, I think I'm buying Simone Rocha bow. I thought you were going to say, oh, if I'm buying bow, it's bow is afraid on Blu-ray. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So we got this message that said the Colton Edmonton AB exclamation point. Chris Noss mom was involved and would bring him to meetings in the 90s. So I had to go down a rabbit hole. And I have to say there's a not- A rabbit, rabbit, rabbit hole. I, I had to go down a rabbit, rabbit, rabbit hole. There's not too much information that I could find. There was a Canadian article that talked about the false prophet of Edmonton. Uh, a guy by the name of Jean de Ruter built a spiritual movement mashing up Christian theology and New Age mysticism. Spoiler alert, he's accused of sexual assault with multiple of the women that were under his spell. So Christoph's mother, who is major, her name is Jean, or a very long spelling of Jean, J-E-N. Anyway. Someone will correct us, believe oh, me. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Jeanne Parr was a retired CBS news reporter and independent television producer from New York. She moved in the 90s up to Canada because she fell under Reuter's spell. She wanted to do a documentary about him. She produced instructional videos about him. Whoa. She had plans to shoot a more extensive documentary when she learned about his adulterous relationships. I'm getting this from a sociology paper called Presentation of the Charismatic Self in Everyday Life that talks about this. It doesn't directly say this, but you get the sense maybe she was having an affair with this man because it says that she fell out of infatuation after learning about his adulterous relationships. And when she left, he sued her for her tapes. And so there was a lawsuit between the two of them. 
There's not really much more information. You assume that it got settled out of court, but yes, there is another article about her that references that in the 90s, she brought him up to these meetings. I don't really have anything more than that. Well, thank you for that update. Moving on. In season three, episode six, Miranda has a body count of 42. Like, that's a lot. What do you think? Well, Chelsea, you might be surprised to hear me say, I did some math. Oh my God. I'm not surprised, but go on. In season three, assuming that Miranda is the same age as Carrie, which is 35, let's say that Miranda became sexually active at 18. That's 17 years of fucking. So if she fucked two and a half men a year, that would get us to a body count of 42 and a half. Yeah, that's not slutty at all. Well, that's why I wanted to do the math. When you look <laughs> at it that way, sleeping with between two to three men a year is not that slutty. It's true. It depends on your age. Like if you're 21 and you've slept with 42 people, then that's another thing. But I think true hoes are like triple digits. Absolutely. And of course, I mean hoe in the most sex positive way. Did Mr. Big get heaps of Botox in the Sex in the City films? I think everyone got a tad freshened up. I mean, everyone looks unrecognizable in the billboard art for those films. Okay, but that's a completely different thing. You know, sometimes when you look at a celebrity's photo and it's like, oh my God, they got so much work done. And it's like... It's sometimes a bizarre mixture of flash photography, yes, Botox and fillers, and makeup. And I think with Chris Noth's appearance in Sex and the City 1, it's, yeah, maybe some Botox to, to freshen up, some maybe his hair was dyed a little too dark, but also he has an insane Tony Curtis level spray, spray tan. tan. Yes. It made him look different, like noticeably different than what we're used to. And like when you get a spray tan like that, like on your face, it's like there's an evenness that's just kind of a little bit unnatural. Yeah, he's giving Uncanny Valley in that film. But hot, into it. This is really a question for you, Chell. Place Jacob Elordi in any Sex in the City episode. I think he would have excelled as Carrie's bisexual boyfriend. That's not me. That's the person asking the question. I think he would be great as either the Timothy Oliphant character oh. or as the Justin Thoreau premature ejaculator because it would be funny if someone that hot. Yeah. Like there has to be something wrong with him. I like that. See, interesting. I was going to say... I could see him as Carrie's straight friend who films women without their consent in the first <laughs> season because that seems to be in line with his sociopathic character from Euphoria. True, true. Also, hear me out, wild card, a Lordia's burger. No. If you're that hot, you don't have a chip on your shoulder. It's like people that hot don't become writers. I'm sorry. I like your choices. Yeah, Carrie sleeping with a hot 20-year-old played by Jacob Elordi would be very satisfying to watch. Last but not least, what should I do with my Sex and the City box set? Keep or toss? This is a question that affects all of us because, of course, we now watch Sex and the City on Max and soon to be Netflix. But what do we do with that beautiful pink velvet case you have to keep it. Those you have to keep. Now, if you are as old school as we are and have those plastic ones that can slit your wrists open. Yeah, you can get rid of those. Because the older you get, your skin gets thinner. Like, it, it could actually kill you one day. How did Lauren die from a freak Sex in the City box set accident? And you know what would kill you? Either season three or season four. Because those always get the most wear and tear. Whereas season five, it's like, you just got it. 
And it's smaller too. Season three and four are very long seasons. But yeah, I mean, all of my original Sex and the City DVDs are broken in half at this point. Yeah. Just jagged edges for you to stab yourself on. So brittle. Look, here at the Every Outfit Podcast, we are pro-physical media because you don't know when you're going to have a viral Instagram sensation account where you're going to have to screen cap this show. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. We actually do still need to have that. You never know when you're going to have a leave the world behind situation. And that might be the only thing that we can watch while the apocalypse is unfolding. Oh, where I thought you were going with that is like, you've started your Sex in the City rewatch marathon on Max, and then all the satellites go down. <laughs> and the only way you can finish this marathon before the world comes to inevitable end is through your box sets. Yeah. But really, if you're asking, we're saying keep, and like the plastic ones they say might make good coasters. Yeah. It's so funny. I give like my discarded household items to the out of the closet thrift store in West Hollywood. And the amount of Sex in the City DVDs in this establishment could shock you. Like they have like 20 copies of every season of Sex in the City at any given time. I know this because before they released the pink box box set, we desperately needed in the beginning days of the account, like season two or something. I think my DVD was so scratched that we just went to out of the closet and got <laughs> the second season for $2. On that, you can rely. All right, guys. Well, that was fun. These are always really yeah, fun to Yeah, I love do. the hotline episodes. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back next week with a normal episode. Yeah, Chell, I hope you're enjoying Hawaii. Yeah, I'm going to come back with a Chris Noth tan. (laughs) All right, guys. Until then, bye. bye.